Hola amigos, mi nombre es Andrés. My name is Andrés. La rocola del rolo de Latin Jukebox because music is a lovely universal language. Bienvenidos. Hello guys. Well, I'm pleased to introduce our next guest, and you cannot imagine who is here with us. I'm pleased to introduce one of the heads behind 2AM Burrito. You might know him as Big Shift Burrito, or you may know him as Luis Martinez. Welcome to the Latin Jukebox, Luis. Thank you. Thank you, Andres. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I've been following the show. I like your passion about uh, music and, uh, you know, always uh, available to support other Latinos, Colombianos, creatives. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I'm pretty curious about your story because I'm pretty sure there's a immigrant story behind your story. So we're going to have a very nice conversation about you, about your life, about what you do now. And of course, the music that is behind those passions and those things that you like. So first of all, what's your whole name? Luis Martinez. Luis Martinez. If you, uh, si, si queremos ser técnicos, Luis Gerardo Martinez Salazar. Luis Gerardo Martinez Salazar. <laughs> so in Latin America, we normally, well, now it's less common nowadays, but back in time, we used to have two names and yeah. two last names. I have two names and two last names as well. I am Andres Leonardo Pelosa Franco. That's me. And since you have a very Latin name, where were you born? Um, I was born in Medellin, in Medellin, Colombia. Uh, and um, and yeah, it, it's been said that I no no me puedo I can't hide. Porque por, o, o, por, o por cara o por piel o por nombre, for, you know, by skin or by, by name. The, you, I can't hide the Latino, you know? Luis yeah. Martinez is like the uh, John Smith of Latino names. <laughs> yeah, it's very popular. It's, it's very like popular. Luis Martinez or Juan Perez. Those are the Juan two. Juan Perez. Those are the two ones. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And you were born in Medellin. So basically... I've been following a little bit from you, and mm -hmm. you're, you're going to tell us a little bit later yeah. about this, but your parents, they're both from Colombia, or how did Uruguay come into the picture? Sure. So, yo soy Colombo-Uruguayo, uh, Colombiano-Uruguayo, um, and it was interesting because I never really saw myself as a musical person, but music is really the reason that I'm here. You know, and the the first music that that's that's a reason that that I'm here is el tango. Um, Colombians love tango. Uh, paisas, Antioqueños, people from Medellin love the tango, especially in the 70s and the 80s. Um, there was a place in Medellin called La Casa Gardeliana. Um, and um, if you know anything about the history of music and the tango, um, in uh, Carlos Gardel, which is the icon of tango, died in Medellin. Uh, in 1945, I believe. 
and um, he was also allegedly to have been born. Um, there was a discrepancy whether he was French or Argentinian, or um, there's some documents that say he was born in Tacuarembó, Uruguay. Tacuarembó, Uruguay is coincidentally where my father was born. Um, and um, my father was a tango musician from the time he was a little kid until he retired. He played music, uh, the tango, for 60, 70 years. And uh, he accompanied all the biggest artists in tango, um, you know, from the 1940s uh, on. I mean, from the 1950s on, because he was born in 1931. Um, so it so happens to be that my father was touring South America, playing in different bars and clubs. And he landed in Medellin in the late 70s, uh, a place called La Casa Gardeliana. And there's a lot of other, still to this day, there's a lot of tango restaurants in Medellin where you can go dance or you can go eat, um, you know, South American food and, and, and sort of listen to the music. And that's where he met my mother in the in the in the late 70s. So if it wasn't for El Tango, they wouldn't have met. My mother would go to the, 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 the tango club. She was also a presenter. You know, my father was a musician and and that's where they met. And that's where I was born in, in, in Medellin in the late 70s. And after that, they traveled all throughout South America. Um, my dad with his guitar and my mom being a, an MC, a presenter. Um, so my first crib, it said, was two bar chairs put together. And I grew up in bars, in nightclubs. My whole youth was spent, you know, in and around tango music. Um, later on, I, you know, because every kid idolizes their parents and their dad, I wanted to be a musician. And they gave me uh, piano classes, bandoneon classes, uh, guitar lessons. My dad tried to teach me the guitar a hundred different times, pero no tengo oído. I don't have a musical ear at all. <laughs> so I tried to be a singer when I was a kid. I, I, I thought I could be a, a tango a singer, and I was also horrible at that. So if you've ever seen me do karaoke, you can you can confirm that. But but yeah, if it wasn't for 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 el tango, por, por el tango I I wouldn't be here. So so it was interesting when I started thinking about you know what music is important to me. That's the first step for me. Wonderful. That's very very awesome, Carlos Gardel. Of course, I can definitely relate to Carlos Gardel, one of my favorite tango artists. And you mentioned that tango is one of your passions. Do you have like a first? song that you want to introduce that maybe is related with tango for our listeners maybe some of you don't know what tango is tango is a very representative genre in the music especially in the southern part of south america uruguay argentina chile like it's very representative and bandoneon is an instrument that luis was mentioning a while ago it's like an accordion but it's a little bit different. I will I will definitely show you yeah. prior the this episode coming up just to have a little bit more of context. But if, if there was a if there was a if there was a primer for tango for people that are interested in, you know, uh, el bandoneón is 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 the major instrument. Um, Carlos Gardel is the icon. He's the Michael Jordan, and then you have the backbone, the orchestras, the the big the the biggest one. If you want to hear bandoneón the way it's supposed to be played, just look up Astor Piazzolla. Um, more modernly, more recently, one of my greatest, my dad's one of my dad's best friends. He passed away a few years ago. Raúl Jaurena 
and um, and I can send you a link to a short film that I have um, that that I used uh, tango music as as the score for as well. Um, but if I had to pick a song that's really the the, the tango song for me, uh, it's, it's a song called Sur. Um, and if you and and the tango was born in you know it's uh, the bordellos the it's kind of like you 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 might equate it to like like the birth of jazz in the 1920s in, in, in the U.S. You know, um, just it's it's a it's a music from the slums of Buenos Aires, the brothels, the 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 underground clubs, the after hour clubs that started off like that, and they talk a lot about you know, uh, love, relationships, uh, plights and stuff like that. But Sur was the song that whenever I would go see my father perform and I would try to sing it as a kid, it was my favorite song. And anytime we were, my dad was accompanying a, um, an, a singer because he made his money basically, you know, acompañando artistas. So he would, they would need a bandoneón and a guitarra, sometimes a piano, sometimes a bass. And he would always say, "Can you sing um, Sur for my son?" So um, if you if you hear it, it's it's there's a lot of longing in it for lost time, lost loves, um, a love letter to this neighborhood, to this part of their country. Um, that's that's very beautiful. It invokes a lot of memories today. I listened to it this morning. I was tearing up because I was mm-hmm. thinking about some songs that I could share with you. So um, if you if you if you look it up, the um, there's a there's a there's a version by Aníbal Trollio and Edmundo Rivero, uh, which are two giants of tango. Um, Sur Sur is my is probably my favorite tango song. del herrero, barro y pampa, tu casa, tu vereda y el sanjón, y un perfume de suyos y de alfalfa, que me llena de nuevo. Wow, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, Sur, I, I have a memory about Sur because Andrés Calamaro, Andrés Calamaro is one of the great interpreters of rock in Spanish, and he made an album called Tinta Roja, Red Ink, and he made a version of this song, and it's very interesting, nice, nice, thank you, thank you for bringing Sur to our attention. Sadly, tango is one of those genres that, as a a lot of genres that we used to listen back in time, are those genres that are every time less appreciated, And, and it's because, well, there's a boom in pop, there's a boom in urban music, there is a boom in hip hop that basically diminishes all the impact and all the wonderful things that music like tango can bring. Absolutely. It's it's a shame that it takes a lot of work to preserve our culture. Hmm. It it takes it takes a lot of work because every new generation has to, you know, 
has so many more options musically, things they can spend their time on rather than learning an instrument or learning a culture. So it takes a lot. So yeah, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> and that was back in the '70s. So your story with tango and with music it started when you were very, very young. And then after that, what happens? Um, so I spend uh, my first, uh, I would say, ten years of my life. Um, traveling around South America with my parents, um, we lived. Uh, I lived in every 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 country in South America. I lived in Colombia. I lived in Venezuela, in Chile, in Ecuador. Uh, I don't think we lived in Paraguay, but we lived in in Uruguay, uh, in in all over South America, basically following my father uh, around. Uh, eventually, my parents got divorced when I was uh, I would say nine or ten, and um, my mother and we were living in Venezuela, and my mother brought us to the U.S brought us to Florida um, and uh, my father followed me and uh, from then on um, I would move back and forth between the two of them this was in the early 80s uh, during the uh, Reagan amnesty and so we moved back and forth between so that's when both of my parents came to the US and that's when I became uh, when I came to the US uh, and then um, I, I lived between New York City and um, Texas so all over the US I, I I never lived anywhere more than for a few years in a row for the entirety of like my teenage years until I got back to New York. Um, but if, if we're talking about musical period, that then becomes the next important step for me is when I, I, I come back to the US and I'm here for a while and then I end up back in Colombia, back in Medellin, right? And this was the now, um, this is the first time I'm living in Colombia since I was a baby and it's the late 80s, early 90s. And so then what's what the music that was the most important to me then was heavy metal. Right. But that was an interesting time because there was this satanic panic, especially in <laughs> Colombia. So literally, if you listen to Iron Maiden, if you listen to Slayer in 89, 90, you were people thought very bad things about you. You know, they 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 outlawed garbage pail kids and all these other things, anything that had to do with like US heavy metal culture. Um so so that was kind of my ne my my next mu musical phase was buying albums, buying the early Iron Maiden albums, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, um and and things like that, uh, Slayer, um and and that's kind of like my next musical stop if I had to put one. Yeah, and that was a huge change. Because changing from tango to heavy metal, yeah. that means that there had been a huge cultural impact in you. And of course, that means that the fact that now you like heavy metal, that doesn't mean that now you don't like tango. That means that you are making your taste to music a little bit more rich. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because uh, I grew up around it. And so when you grow up around something like that, even though as a kid I wanted to do it, at some point you sort of rebe rebel from it. So when I was in the U.S. in the 80s, there was nothing but 80s pop music and stuff like that. All of a sudden I'm back in Colombia. I'm 12, 13, 14 years old, and I'm trying to, to try and find my own pace. And that's where I sort of fell in love with with heavy metal and heavy rock and stuff like that. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah, Satanic Panic, that's, we've all suffered it. I had a lot of conferences at school where they basically said how bad was heavy metal and how, I mean, you're basically doomed if you listen to, to metal or heavy metal or even rock. Mm -hmm. That's very, very cool, very interesting. And if there is a song that 
could, or, or maybe two, I don't know, there's a song or two that could represent you by that time, that could define you by that point of time. Which songs or what song would that be? If I if I had to choose, and because I, I recently was finally able to go see um, Iron Maiden in concert for the first time in my life, they came to, to, to Chula Vista uh, last year, it would have to be Iron Maiden and it would probably be something like Aces High. son of the seventh son like i said yesterday though because i remember i remember having those albums physically in my hand and my cousin who was another metalhead i remember i had all the eddie posters all across my room and at one point i had to start sharing a room with my little brother and he was scared of the eddie posters so we had to get rid of them and that was my life we would go to the record store um we would go to the record store underneath my apartments and we would sit there and look at records and we would go to the stores and we would buy any you know we buy our main posters and have to hide them and we couldn't have the the people see your room because then they would think you were a satanist and stuff like that so <laughs> the fact that iron maiden is and the fact that that literally you know 30 years later i was able to go see iron maiden live now in my 40s um for the first time because they would net i think they they only came to columbia a couple of times when i was there uh so that that so i think that's a very important pivotal time for me musically yeah. wonderful and eddie like they, i was talking to my friends from phantom jukebox once and i was telling them how important iron maiden was for the heavy metal for the rock scene because not only because of the music but also because of the creativity that icon that they created with eddie it was all over the place and it created an impact you wanted to listen iron maiden just because you saw the cover of their yeah of their cities lost that, in time all those all those covers just yeah yeah a number of the beasts like there there were a lot of them and 
I feel that's one of the most important trademarks of, of Iron Maiden and in music in general. So that's very cool, very, very interesting. And by that point of time, you were like 20, 20. No, no, no. I was, I was, um, no, my, uh, I was, this was in Colombia and Medellin in the, like I said, this is around 89, 90. So I was, I was like 13, 14 years old. Oh, okay. I was, yeah. So yeah, I, I grew. I, I was born in Medellin. We traveled all my youth. Eventually, we were in the U.S. and stuff for a little while, and then I ended up back in Colombia. Um, so I was there for a while, South America, and then and then another pivotal point. If we if we're moving, you know, if we're jumping ahead, is after being in Colombia, um, I came back to New York, and that's really the first time that I was somewhere for a long amount of time because I did most of middle. Uh, the end of middle school and, and all of high school, I was in New York City. And I was in New York City. I was back in New York City in Queens in 1992. So I was literally there and I got to and I got to Medellin and I got to New York City after being a metalhead in Colombia for the last three years. And I had tight jeans, big metal T-shirts, long hair. And everybody at that, every Latino, uh, every every person of color in, in, in Queens was into hip hop. It was literally the birth of hip hop. There was only a very, very small niche heavy metal group that, you know, CBGBs and, and, and they were and I, they were nowhere for me to see them. Right. So for because of peer pressure and because I was there literally at the birth of hip hop, um, that's when I, I jumped two feet in directly into in hip hop, you know, Nas, Biggie, Tupac, uh, Tribe Called Quest, the Beastie Boys, uh, all of that, the early, early Method Man, Redman, everything, you know, Wu-Tang Clan. So that's when I still love metal the entire time afterwards, but my primary love shifted. And again, again, you know, metalhead in, in, in the 80s, Hip hop head in the '90s, because I was in Queens, I was in New York, I was surrounded by it. There was no, there was no escape for me, and and I immediately just dove right in, and and and, and that's basically what consumed me musically uh, for the next uh, 10, 15 years. Wow, another huge jump because now you're jumping from heavy metal to hip hop. That is another jump, and it's very interesting because yes by that point of time the impact of artists like Tupac it was undeniable and hip-hop was starting to grow and grow and grow and getting more attention from everyone so what's the song what's the or or if you have two songs that it's also yeah. good like what's the song that by that point of time defined your life um i think that the songs that 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 resonated with me the most i mean biggie and tupac were just so so big for me it was it was nas um you know not uh you know new york state of mind anything off of illmatic and the triggers bringing fame to their name and claim some corners crews without guns and corners in broad daylight stick up kids they run upon us four fives and gauges max and fat same niggas that catch you back to back catching your cracks in black there was a snitch on the block getting niggas not so hold your stats to the coke price drop i know this crackhead who said she gotta smoke nice rock and if it's good you bring your customers and measuring plots but yo you gotta slide them 
on a vacation Inside information keeps large niggas erasing And they wives spacing It drops deep as it does in my breath I never sleep, huh? cause sleep is the cousin Um, really, it's more of an album, I think, for me Uh, the message, uh, another Nas, uh, uh it was, it was, anything off of it was written Fake thug, no love, you get the slug CB4 gusto, your luck low I didn't know till I was drunk though You freak niggas played out, get fucked and ate out Prostitute turned bitch, I got the gauge out 96 ways I made out Montana way, the good F-E-L-L-A Verbal AK spray, dip the tattoo Jump out the range, empty out the ashtray A glass of Zay, making mad casters Clay, red dot plots, murder schemes 32 shotguns, regulate His first two albums just really spoke to me And, and really... Uh, to this day, people they're like, you know, I would play, I would play Nas when we were having a get together or something. It's like, God damn it, Lou, why do you have to always play Nas? Do, do you get paid to do that? And so, but yeah, but it's a song like "The Message," a song like "New York State of Mind," um, uh, things like that. Even um, anything off of Nas's first album would do that. If there was an alternate, I think it would be like the Beastie Boys' "What You Want." Um, that song is just like. If I if I'm if I'm if I'm gonna take a shower and get ready to go somewhere and I'm just gonna put my Bluetooth speaker on and I just you know I just start a playlist and start with that and and, and it gets me going right there but there's there's literally like so much you know like you know uh, Tupac you know uh, uh, any uh, letter to Marble Child uh, anything off of Illuminati you know Hail Mary you know uh, Biggie I got a story to tell. There's just there's 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 songs upon songs upon songs and 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 it, I, that's why I think that you know anything tribe as well um, uh, is 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 all deeply you know you, any anything that that that's just bumping out of every car that you're driving by you while you're in high school is 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 always gonna stick with you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And by that point of time, you were in New York, in Queens, right. mm -hmm. Queens. Um, I don't know now, but there was a time where Queens was the popular place for Colombians. Like a lot of Colombians were there. I don't know now, but yeah, that's one important place for Colombians. And then after that, now you were 19. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, now I'm now I'm out of high school. It's the mid 90s, and I have to decide kind of what I want to do with my life. You know, um, mm. and and um, and I'm and, assuming it's a tough decision because you're in New York, but then you have your mother and your father like in separate ways. Yeah. And so it, I'm assuming. Yeah. Tough the, decision. The, the, the way it worked is, is, is I was back. We lived together for a while. Then when they divorced, I would go back and forth. So my entire life uh, until I got back to New York and sort of did high school there was 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 traveling. Um, and so I didn't, I don't, that's why I don't really think I have a hometown. It's just more, and, and I think travel broadens you. So it gave me some things, but then I also don't have like lifelong childhood friends, you know? So it's kind of a mix of the two worlds. I'm happy that I got to see all these different places growing mm -hmm. up uh, in my youth, but I'm also sad that I don't have like that, that, that relationship to any one place. So I have fleeting memories of Medellin and being there. And then the, 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 the growth of in New York, By that point, 
um, my mother had been was back in Colombia because she was she was there with with uh, her new husband and, and my brother and my sister. Um, and uh, I was I was staying in New York with my dad. And during that time in high school, during that time in New York is when. And this goes back a little bit to the divorce of my parents, because one of the things that you do as a divorced kid is when you get to spend time with one or the other. You don't really know what to do. So what do you do? You go see a movie. So that was kind of what I would do when my father would come visiting me in Colombia. We would go see a movie together uh, when my mother would when I would go with my mom or we would go see a movie together for the long time. I can still remember most movies that I saw in a the theater who I saw them with. So, for example, I remember seeing Tango and Cash in a theater in Medellin with my dad in like 1980, in, in the 90s or something. I remember seeing Titanic with my mom in a theater in San Diego and Forrest Gump with her in a theater in New York. So movies sort of took the place of music for me in, in terms of the art form, right? And it had such a big importance because, and I didn't realize this till later on, um, how much I talked to my dad about movies, how much I talked to my mom about movies. And during that time, in between, somewhere in between Satanic Panic and the birth of hip hop, I realized that that I think I want to make movies. I think I want to tell stories. I think that's kind of what I, I think that's, I, I would just imagine movie scenes. So after getting out of high school, that's I decided that's what I wanted to do. And that's when... I traveled for a little while. I went back to South America, back and forth. I did Europe for a little bit, very briefly, just to kind of walk traipse around. Came back to Colombia, was in Uruguay for a while, and eventually I decided that I needed to find a place where I could live and I could focus on my career. I still had a few friends from, because um, I went to film school briefly, but I went to film school at a time when you were learning how to make films in a very old fashioned way. You were learning how to cut and splice film, but it was the late nineties and you were about to be able to start doing all these things on your computer. Right? So I felt like I was learning surgery with like sticks and stones. Yeah. So sure. I went, so I tried film school for a little bit. I didn't like it. I still had a couple of friends that were in the industry. So I said, I'm going to go to LA. I'm going to go to California. Uh, by that point, my mother was in San Diego. And I was like, I'm going to go out to California. So I packed up my bags after I traveled around and I said, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to come to San Diego and I'm going to eventually stay here with my mom for a little bit. And I'm going to just move to L.A. and just jump into the industry. Right. Figure it out. And that's when I landed on the West Coast. Oh, that's a very cool story, because after all you traveled, after all the places you met, you finally made your decision and your perspective on art changed a little bit from music to movies and then at the same time you start thinking ahead like where am i gonna be creating where what will i be doing and what's the best spot to develop this kind of art and you decide to move to california the west coast so the first place or I don't know if it's the only place, but the first place you went in California was San Diego. San Diego, sí. Correcto. And music, like when when you got there, when you started, 
what was around, what was happening around art, around movies, around music, what was resonating with you by that point of time? You know what what was resonant what was playing on the radio in San Diego when I first got here was uh was La Macarena. <laughs> <laughs> And they had a they had a st radio station that briefly all they played were different versions of La Macarena over and over over and over and over again. Jeez. That's it was all Macarena all of the time. Bala tu cuerpo alegría Macarena que tu cuerpo pa dar la alegría y cosa buena Bala tu cuerpo alegría Macarena eh Macarena Bala tu cuerpo alegría Macarena que tu cuerpo pa dar la alegría y cosa buena Bala tu cuerpo alegría Macarena eh Macarena Then I think that uh, the and, and the and the the culture jump from being because you're right Queens is a melting pot. My high school, Newtown High School in Queens, New York, is literally the most diverse high school in the entire planet. The most diverse high school in the entire universe is the high school that I went to. We had not only Colombians, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Ecuadorians, Chileans, Paraguayans, Brazilians, Argentinians, Uruguayans. We had everything. We had Central Americans. We didn't have just you know African American students. We had African American students from every country in Africa. We didn't just have European students. We had Dutch students, uh, Danish students, Swiss students. We had every single, every single thing. But and and Mexican as well. But Queens in that time was mostly Puerto Ricans, uh, Dominicans, and Colombians were the were the big major, mm -hmm. and the Mexicans were starting to come in there. But it but it was it. so. The good thing about New York and the good thing about Queens is every single ethnicity has their own little hood. They all have their own little one or two blocks where that's where the stores yeah. are, and that's it. No matter what, no matter what, Ethiopian, Colombian, and sometimes they're just around the corner. Oh, you're in Little India now, and now you're in Little Puerto Rico, and boom, boom, boom. And then I got to San Diego, and Southern California, San Diego is a purely Chicano culture. You know, okay. It's 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 you know this used to be Mexico, right? So mm -hmm. and you're close to Tijuana. Um, there is the Mexican American culture. There's Mexican culture, and then there's the mixed culture of the people that come across the border all the time. So San Diego, I went from a very from very culture to you know a very singular culture. There's Colombians here. There's there's people from other countries that were very very little. The majority of the Latino population in Southern California, 90% probably would be all Mexicans. So I started to absorb that culture combined with like the Southern California surfer culture. Because um, I figured I, I'm in California, I have to learn how to surf, right? So I was at, I was out there with my surfboard. I only, I only got up on the board like once or twice. After that, I was like, no, this is not for me. Um, But the biggest influences, I think, musically, other than like the Mexican music, the narco corridos, the 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 the, the, the Mexican music from here, um, was like bands like Blink 182 or Sublime. 
So the first song that I saw that popped off a lot on the that I really got into was Damn It by Blink 182. they were a San Diego band and when I got here they were just popping off um, and uh, Sublime um, you know uh, Garden Grove is a song that I do at karaoke all the time Same in the end. Same. Um, same in the end by Sublime is is I think my favorite Sublime song. Down in Mississippi where the sun beats down from the sky. They give it up and they give it up and they give it up, but they never ask why. Daddy was a rolling, rolling stone. Oh, he rolled away one day and he never came home. <laughs> So I think that's kind of where I still love hip hop. I still love heavy metal, even though I didn't, I wasn't searching it out. My background and in my heart, I still felt tango, you know. But but if we're talking musically, that's kind of what started permeating. There was also West Coast hip hop, but I've always loved West Coast hip hop. Even when we were in New York, I was bumping Snoop Dogg, Gin and Juice when I was in Queens. That so the West Coast hip hop stuff was was already there. Uh, but yeah, I think kind of like that, that was kind of where I gravitated to. Um, that was like important songs of that of that time for me. That's very awesome. And your experience with the board surfing is similar to my experience with skates here in Canada. Okay. Like they say, okay, it's winter, you should go skating. I tried skating twice and I told myself, this is not for me. I think it's basically the same story. We are told to do what the population normally do on like in their territories, but that doesn't mean it's gonna like us. No, no, I was just gonna tell you that during one of those many travels, I was in West Vancouver for a while, so I was up in I was up in Canada as well. So my I I was 
I was up north. I, I, so I so I was I was going down Whistler at some point on some on some skis too. So I was I was up there. Wow, wonderful! You had the chance to meet all over the place. So you got to San Diego when you were what age? Um, I got to San Diego. I first came out to San Diego when I first got out of high school in '96, '97, and I hated it. I didn't like it. I didn't have any friends and I wasn't really part of the scene. So I left. That's when I went to travel for a while. That's when I went to Canada, South America again. I was basically just traipsing around. Um, I would go somewhere. Uh, I would teach English um, and when I was traveling and make a little money and then move on and then stuff like that. Um, and then, um, when I came back, it was 2001, I left New York right before 9-11. Uh, and I was in San Diego working while that was happening. Um, so I guess, yeah, it would be 2000, 2001 when I came back. 2001. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That 2001. So I was, I was, what I was, yeah, I was, uh, 30, I was in 33, 30, 32, 33. Wow. And then you just decided to stay there. Here, let me let me show you this real quick, just so you can I can see. This is yeah. me when I this is me when I first. Came oh my out. god! <laughs> that's oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. that Boy. that's me. That's me with my surfboard and and when I first came out of here, as I'm showing you a picture. That's wonderful. For my dear listeners, follow Luis at Big Shift Burrito. He has a, an Instagram account, of course, and of course his Twitter account. He will tell us a little bit more about his social media. But I'm I'm just taking a look at a picture where he's handing uh, a surfing board around I don't know 15 years ago. No, that was that was that was when I first came out here. So that that's got to be at least 20, yeah, almost 30 years ago. now. yeah, well, yes. ハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハ
So even though I always love making movies and stuff like that, I was making money. I was working 60, 70 hours a week. I was oh, doing wow. really good. I was doing really good, but I wasn't doing anything that I was passionate about, you know? And I had a friend, Brian, um, who's the other part. Um, there's four people who started to am burrito, Brian Higginbotham, my writing partner, who's African-American, Laura Jean, who I met here, who I call my sister, who's Mexican-American, and our friend Josh, who is Asian-American. So for a long time, we were doing nothing, just talking about making movies, talking about scripts that we wanted to write. And then around 2011, um, my friend Brian, who was also making six, uh, you know, six figures, working a job he didn't like, said, I'm quitting my job. I'm moving down to San Diego. I'm going to stay on your couch. I'm going to finish a script, and we're going to make a movie. And I was like, He's like, because we've been talking about it for too fucking long. It's we're, we got to do it. So I said, all right, if you do it, I'll, we'll do it. So he came down here. He wrote a script. We we cast it through Craigslist. We got my friend Josh, whose dad worked at the, at the, and I don't know even know if they even have this anymore, but used to have public access cable channels where anybody could go to the the cable company had to allow people to do local programming. They had to provide them cameras and stuff. So our friend Josh's dad was the guy that ran the camera department. So he let us borrow a camera and <laughs> we shot it. We made it. I edited it. I had to reteach myself everything. And and we and we made the movie and we decided, what are we going to call the company? And um, what, you know, so we were here, we we're in San Diego. And, and like I said, if you're in New York and you leave the club and it's two in the morning, you stop by and you get a slice of pizza or you go get Sharma or, you, uh, you know, or Sharma or, 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 you know, no, if you're in Tijuana, you get tacos in LA, you get chicken and waffles or hot dogs, you know, in Chicago, you get a uh, something else. I don't know what, he, what in Canada, you know, you get some poutine or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Right. So in San Diego at two in the morning when you're drunk or when you're leaving the casino or when you're leaving the bar or you stop or you're hanging out with your friends, you get a burrito. So this happened so much. You imagine how many how much this had to happen that my friend Anthony would make a joke about it. He would say and he had a lisp. So he would say, Lou, it's two in the morning. Uh, the burrito place is wondering where you're at. He's like, <laughs> The taco shop is worried. You're not there to pick up your burrito, Lou. It's 2 a.m. What's going on? What's up with the 2 a.m. burrito? So it became a joke, the 2 a.m. burrito, the 2 a.m. burrito. So we were thinking about what are we going to call our company? And we started, we started thinking about all these acronyms and all these stuff. And you know what I mean? So I was like, why don't we just make it silly? Uh, kind of like Kevin Smith's company, View Askew, or just companies that just have silly production companies names. So we said, why don't you just call it the 2 a.m. burrito? And, and that's where that was formed. And it was just, and so you can imagine how much I love burritos and how many times we ate them late at night that that became a joke. And then the the motto was because we had, we started and we would try to give ourselves arbitrary deadlines, which I think people give themselves in life as well as in their projects. I want to get this done by the time I'm thirty. I want to get this done. I want to be here by the time I'm forty. I wanna I want to make this movie by January so I can submit it to this festival. I want to get this done so that you know what I mean. Things like that. And we try to rush things, and they always would mess things up. So we just instill this policy of it's not done till it's done. It'll be done when it's done. And the the line I stole it from Nas uh, on a song um, on a song off of one of his later items, you know, where he's uh, and I forget what the you know when's the last time you heard Nas rhyme? Never on schedule, but always on time. Which means his album is going to be out when it's out. You know, it's not. It's never on schedule. It's always on. But it's it's on time. And I believe it's from the Bible as well, because I, I somebody told me, oh, that's a religious phrase. <sighs> you know, 
about Jesus. He's never on schedule, but he's always on time, you know? And I didn't mind that. But but yeah, that's where that came from. That's where Tua Burrito came from. And that's where never on schedule, but always on time came from. <laughs> oh, my God. What a story. It's, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. And now you are working with them, with Brian Higginbottom, with Laura. And that's basically what you do right now for a living, basically. You, you produce movies, you do movies, you... What else do you do? Yeah, I, I, I still have to have a day job, but I was able to... When, when my roommate dropped out, I mean, not dropped out, quit his job, I realized that unless I changed my priorities, I was never going to be able to fa follow what I was passionate about. So I quit my job um, where I was working 70 hours a week and I was making a good, good amount of money. And I started working for another company as a consultant where I was, I went from working 70 plus hours a week to 25, 30 hours a week. You know, I basically mm -hmm. cut down my living to only what I needed to survive, which was a hit, mm -hmm. but I was able to spend half my day being creative instead of spending, instead of being tired and not having time to write, not having time to, to talk to people, not having time to collaborate, I would work and I would still have time to, to do what I was creative. So we started making movies in 2011. We made two or three black and white movies that and by ourselves. And then, um, in 2014, um, I connected with, a, with an actor named CG Thomas and, um, he, brought a different element to us because he just had all this energy and this passion and he wanted to make this movie. And that's where we made our first feature that actually sort of felt like the next step up because we were making independent movies. And then we, we made a movie called Blacklisted uh, in 2014, 2015 that had 130 actors in San Diego. It was a SAG feature and it was the first movie where I think we took the step up from like indie filmmakers to legitimate filmmakers. And since then we've progressed and we've made another couple of features and a bunch of shorts. Um, and I'm not, I wish I could tell the listeners that I'm at the point where I make a living making that. I still have to work and, but I do get to spend a big portion of my day doing what I love. And we sometimes make money with corporate videos, commercials, quinceañeras, weddings, mm -hmm. stuff like that that you do, uh, editing and doing uh, odd jobs like that that I still do. And it's better than a regular job, but and I've and I've I've grown accustomed to not having as much as I used to. I try to take care of stuff more, and like I said, it's it's it, I'd rather be poor and surviving but still able to be pursuing what I love. That's a wonderful lesson for all our listeners. Guys, really, we only live once. Do what you love. Do what you're passionate about. Stop wasting your time doing things that bore you or doing things that you don't like, doing things that you don't love. Go follow your dreams because you only live once and life goes fast. So that's a very good lesson. Very, very interesting. And I, I do have, I do have, I do have a musical connection to that. If you want to hear it, of course. So after being in San Diego and 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 and, and doing that, I and when we started making movies, um, a friend of mine, a roommate of mine, um, we were talking about music one day, and he's like, I, "You need to hear something." And I was like, "What is this?" And he's like, "This is somebody that you're a fan of, but you don't even know." And so I was like, "Okay," because at that point. 
after the 90s and and after hip-hop in new york and after getting to san diego and, and kind of seeing you know blink and sublime and red hot chili peppers you know one of my other favorite songs is souls to squeeze by red hot chili peppers mm-hmm. i think it's my favorite red hot chili pepper song of all time i love that song so much sort of been stuck in hip-hop from the 90s for from 92 like anything that came out in hip-hop from like 92 to to 2000 was my wheelhouse and then i just i stopped caring about other music that came out like 50 cent and other ones came out blah 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 blah. but he put this headphones on me and he made me listen to jay dilla donuts and that like literally changed my perspective on music and hip-hop again so the entire if you know if 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 like i can't just and then the and then i started learning about jay dilla and realizing that he had created some of the beats from artists like tribe called quest janet jackson other people and i didn't even realize that i had already been listening to him but the jay dilla donuts album introduced me to uh like uh i have the mf doom shirt on um <sighs> Um, you know, J Lib, um, a lot of underground hip hop, um, and and then learning more about him, you know, Jay Jay Dilla's uh, uh, the fact that he made that album on his deathbed. Hmm. You know, he had lupus. He had he had them bring his MPC machine and his beat making machine to his hospital, and he was making beats on his deathbed. So that entire album, I really was the next step evolutionarily in my love of music. And that was the last time that I think that that something new was opened in me. Um, and if you ever listen to the, the, the entire Jay Dilla uh, Donuts album, the last song, which is called uh, Last Donut of the Night, is when you give it that context that he sort of I don't know if he knew he was dying or he thought he was going to get better but to have the 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 artistic acumen the 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 artistic power to be able to create under those circumstances and and write your goodbye right because the song he's literally saying goodbye last on the last on of the nights the last song on his album he's doing it and and that that entire album like you know, people joke around where they have the t-shirts that say Jay Dilla changed my life, but like like literally that was it, it was an incredibly important album and an incredibly important song. Mm-hmm. 
those are the stories that are life changers. They make you think differently. They make you think, okay, what am I doing? What do I want to do? Am I on the right track or do I need to switch? What do I need to do? Those questions always come to my mind and I always try to to reflect on those questions just to see if what I do on a daily basis is what drives me. And I try to be on the road because sometimes it's not easy because we have to pay the bills, right? So sometimes those those things are on the way, but don't lose track of your dreams. That's that's very cool, very interesting, and good story. That's a good story. And that is the story of 2AM Burrito. And, well, I just have a, a question coming from my infinite ignorance. Do you guys do TV commercials? Yeah, no. Um, we are a full-service production company. Um, one of the good things about being in Southern California and San Diego is that it's not L.A. So even though there's tons of actors and production people here, it's not as crowded and stuff like that. So, yeah, we I, I have a roster of hundreds of actors. I have uh, We have production studios that we have... Um, agreements with we have our own studio where we can shoot stuff in and uh, i'm a writer director editor so so yeah we 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 can do it all so you know if anybody needs something in the southern california area they can find me uh by looking for big chief burrito or you can actually go to uh 2amburrito.com and you can see all our films and some of our work there as well. And and uh, and yeah, we're, we'll I'll, I'll do anything. I mean, it, I'll do anything for money. Well, almost anything. <laughs> anything film related that needs to be filmed, I can I can I can I can do it, or I can build people. Or, or what I do a lot of the times is I is I can put teams together for people, even if it's not something I can do. I can put teams together for all kinds of projects for people. That's wonderful. And actually, that was my next question. Like, where can people find you? And well, you're well known in social media, but if you want to share something else about the social media that you guys have, that would be fantastic. No, yeah, absolutely. So the easiest way where you can find all our accounts is on 2amburrito.com. That links to everything else. Uh, But if you're on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Big Chief Burrito. Um, And then you can find 2am Burrito on Facebook as well if you're a Facebook person, facebook.com slash 2am Burrito. If you like to watch people on Twitch or on Twitch, twitch.tv slash 2am Burrito. And you can also, if you, you know, if you're, hey, listen, if you're listening to the Latin jukebox on Good Pods or on Spotify or on Apple Music or all the places that you listen to this podcast, just go to the search bar. And you can look for two of my podcasts. One of them is called Fireside Chats with Big Chief Burrito. And that's where I have interviews with people one-on-one, much like this. And then we also have another podcast called Mi Gente Show. Mi Gente Show, where it's uh, reacting to news and culture from a Latinx perspective, also called Two Latinos and a Microphone, where myself and my co-host, Sofia Carrillo, um, talk about news and culture and also spotlight one Latino creative each week. So we're going to have you on at some point, I would assume. Yeah. Of course, of course. I would love to. I would love to. Reciprocate the invitation. But yeah, that's, those are the main places where you can find us and support us. That's wonderful. That's awesome. And 
now that we know a little bit of the story and now that we know like the context of everything that you have built everything that you have come up with what is next what's coming up what do you have in the oven the um the pandemic um obviously as it it sort of put a halt on my production schedule i was able to do a few things that that really helped me out which was create a podcast so i could stay creative and start creating content and i was able to edit some movies that had gotten stuck in pro- in post production so i did get something done but i didn't really feel comfortable filming anything during it you know so now that it's sort of things are getting a little bit back to normal we will be starting a production of our next feature film so if you keep up with us you will be able i will be updating people as it goes along we'll we'll have uh, opportunities for people to uh, invest and to support the movie we'll do a kick uh, kickstarter or something like that and um and also i was taking care of my father who I spoke about who passed away 6 months ago but I was also taking care of him cuz he was 91 when he passed so I had to sort of balance work with for I had to stop work I had to start working from home because I was taking care of him and then towards the last I would say 3 to 4 years I was mostly a caregiver um which is which is tough but it's also it's also rewarding and emotionally emotionally draining so now that it's been 6 months since that happened I'm still sort of struggling with how to what to do with my time but I find that staying creative talking with people doing podcasts guesting on podcasts and stuff like that really helps me and it motivates me to do more stuff I've also been heavily involved with the San Diego Latino Film Festival Um we had some of our movies that screened there in the past and I started to help them out. Uh this year I'm also curating the comedies for the festival. So if anybody is in the Southern California area, the film festival, the 30th edition of the San Diego Latino Film Festival, one of the biggest Latino film festivals in the world, will be March 9th through the 19th. I'll be there. Um I'm selecting comedies and stuff right now. uh which is why we had to reschedule this cuz i was super busy um so i'll be i'll be helping out with the festival doing q and a's doing interviews from ihente show and and right after that this spring we're going to start uh, i'm writing it right now but we'll start pre-production and we'll start fundraising for the next movie so that uh, we can get more 2am burrito content out there for everybody wonderful wow a lot of things going a lot yeah. of things coming up and that's awesome that's very good how do you balance your time because it looks like you have a lot on your plate and then after that you have all the social media twitch youtube all the social media how do you balance your time i know and i'm supposed to be doing tiktok but i don't have the time <laughs> for it um it's it's difficult i think that what i try to do which might seem silly is i try to divide my day uh into corporate lu and creative lu so when i wake up and i have my first cup of coffee i'm corporate lu i i i come to my station and i do my day job for 3 to 5 hours uh i do my sales stuff i get on that 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 then i try to spend a little time with my dogs um i take a nap and then when i get up from my nap and i have my second cup of coffee or or whatever then that's where i'm creative lu and then that's where i and i try to and i try not to do everything every day because that gets hard so for example you know thursdays are my podcast days uh, where i'll do guest spots where i record usually 
um, where I do that. And then I'll, uh, Sundays I'll try to, since it's a slow day, I try to do edit clips so that I can put clips out, you know, and then, you know, Tuesdays or Thursdays I'll do thumbnails and, and stuff like that. And then I'll set a time for myself when to be on social media and when, and when to start, you know, when to, you know, when to check my emails, when to check, it's, 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 it's a pain in the butt. And, and sometimes things fall and sometimes you forget about something. But the good thing is that it's never too late to start. It's never, you know, it's never too late to, to, to get stuff done, you know, and, and if you want to do something and if you want to be creative and the results will be what the results are, you know, I'm having fun in the process. I have fun talking to people, collaborating with people, promoting stuff. Um, anytime I can, anytime I can share my work and, and, you know, that's, what's going to live forever. Right. You know, the memories our friends have of us and, and the art that we put out into the world. So as long as I'm doing that, connecting with more people, putting more art, art out there, you know, as I always like to say on my podcast, we're hurling through space on a rock stuck to it through magic. And we're in an infinite universe and we're the size of a pebble on the biggest beach you could ever imagine. So, you know, love each other, make some art, have some fun, try to do something nice in the world, you know, and don't worry too much about it, you know? Yeah, exactly. There you are. Great, great pieces of advice. And now just to, to wrap it up, I wanted to ask you five very quick questions. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure I, I know some answers, but... I'm going to just throw them out. Go ahead. So in terms of weather, hot or cold? Ooh. Um, okay. Um, having lived through blizzards and opening up my door in New York and 10 feet of snow, I'm going to say hot. That would be my answer as well. Contradict contradictorily, I'm living in Canada. But, well, that's another story. Really? Uh, coffee, black or with cream or milk? Uh, light and sweet. I'm right now since I I can't have sugar anymore. I do whip. I do heavy whipping cream, four stevia, and a little cinnamon. Cinnamon. Wow, that's a wonderful recipe. Mm -hmm. Movies. Favorite genre. Anything that has comedy added to it. Okay. So like horror comedy, action mm -hmm. comedy. Yeah, like uh, Tango and Cash, for example. Tango and Cash. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Music. Would you already run us through some of your favorite artists? But if you would pick, who would be your favorite artist? If I had to pick who my favorite artist is, I would have to say um, probably Nas. Nas. Yeah. We talk about Nas a little bit during the episode, and that's, that's so good. And, well, I think I know this one, but in terms of food... Tacos or burritos? Burritos. All day. 100%. 100%. And there was one, one last question that came to my mind during the episode. Go ahead. You've been all over the place. You have traveled all around the world. Which is the best place that you have visited that you would recommend 100%? Like, don't miss this place. Um, I think, um, listen, um, West Vancouver is very beautiful. So uh, I, I had a, a lot of time there. I think New York City. Look, there's a reason. There's a reason that 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 I was that I lived in Medellin and Montevideo and Vancouver and New York in Texas, um, and and I live where I live. San San Diego is is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. The temperature is 72 degrees year round. There's five hot days. 
15 cold days and five rainy days and the rest of the year it's the same it's the exact same i have one heavy jacket and i use it one week a year and the rest of the time i'm either in sweatpants and flats or basketball shorts you can have a hoodie and that's it the beaches are beautiful you can be in the mountains and then two hours later be at the beach you have tijuana you have la you have vegas all within four hours um and 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 out of all the places that i that i've lived in there's a reason that i that, that i settled here so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with my hometown if it's a u.s place make sure you're in san diego at some point if it was if you're talking foreign places you know um la costa Covenas, colombia you know you know uh you know um why not man or montevideo punta del este those are those are you know that's those are, that's why I got I got Uruguay and I got and I got Colombia. There so, you are. There so, you so are. I can't I can't deny my heritage, and um, I'll just tell you one other funny story because in 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 Queens um, there was a restaurant where my dad used to play at that it was a Colombian restaurant, but the owner was from Uruguay and he was married to a Colombian woman, so it was very much like my my upbringing. So what they would do is for me. Because, you know, in Uruguay, Argentina, is la carne, the big steaks, right? Mm -hmm. But the bandeja paisa comes with, like, the little thin steak or the carne molida, right? Carne so they, they, they would do a, a bandeja paisa, but then they would put an entraña, a skirt steak, instead of the... So it was the, it was the, 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 bandeja, <laughs> the bandeja colombo uruguaya, the bandeja uruguaya. Because it was the bandeja paisa, but they would replace the 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 little thin the little thin steak that they have with a big, thick-ass uh, entraña skirt steak. And that would be like a custom plate that they would only make for me. <laughs> <laughs> so. And that sounds delicious. Oh my yeah, god! Now I'm, now I'm hungry. One last song you wanna maybe showcase, highlight. Look, I want to do this one at karaoke, so I'll bring it up um, because even though it didn't really stick with me as much, I have a lot of love for rock and espanol. So you know. Two songs, Mi Aguita Amarilla. Um, or what was the other one? Uh, Pilar no tiene bicicleta. 
Uh, that was a, <laughs> but uh, what? Uh, or um, devuélveme a mi chica. Mm, uh, so I, I think that I think I want to do that when I karaoke next time. I, I, I try to pick what I do depending on the crowd. So next time there's like a Latino crowd, I'm going to do the Vuelveme Mi Chica. So those are kind of like my my favorite rock and espanol songs. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, as as you could have listened to dear listeners, this was a whole journey of genres. There was a story of life. There is an example here of how how life needs to be taken. Like life is a serious thing, but you shouldn't take it as serious. As, as seriously as it comes go with the flow go with your dreams and just fight for what you want I appreciate having Luis here with us and I'm glad that we made the time to to have you here and looking forward to, to meeting you in the future to coming up to your show and to, to just keeping this very good connection Yeah, absolutely. And I want to thank you for inviting me. Um, like I said, it made me sit down and really evaluate how important music is in my life. I'm somebody that normally has um, movies in the background when I'm working. I, I, I watch a lot of stuff. I watch movies over and over and I love music. But over the last few years, I, I don't think I don't I, 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 I've never thought that it was as important to me as it is to other people um, in terms of always being on. But recently, um, after listening to some of your stuff and also uh, being part of it, I've started to it, it made me it gave me an, a, a reason to sit down and evaluate just how important music has been in my life. Um, so I really am thankful for the experience and for the questions that you asked uh, and for having the ability to put me in that headspace where I started to think about music in that way. So I appreciate you as well. And, and, I'm, and, and, and I think you're, you're doing a great thing by talking about people's journeys and then having those, those, those songs in, in between that, 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 that are so important to them. Thank you very much, Lisa. I appreciate it. I I just enjoyed a lot the ride, the, this journey. This was a very wonderful conversation. I learned a lot from you, and you have all my admiration, man. Thank no, you no, very much. Yeah. 
Un abrazo de larga distancia, hermano. Un abrazo, hermano. Gracias, parcero. Okay. Cuídate mucho y bueno, ahí okay. estamos en la jugada. Thank you very much for everything, Luis. Excellent. <laughs> well, let me end this.